Hello, divers. Welcome to a special holiday edition of Mysteries of the Deep. I'm Tom Feeney, podcaster and purveyor of pop culture propaganda. Searching beneath the surface of what seems to be the ordinary, the mundane, the pedestrian. It is undoubtedly the most iconic holiday-themed television program of all time. And it's kind of a Christmas miracle it ever got on the air in the first place. So, grab your security blanket as Mysteries of the Deep presents A Brief History of a Charlie Brown Christmas. December 9, 1965, Americans who were tuned into the CBS television network were treated to something they had never seen before. A cartoon about a depressed kid opining on the crass commercialization of the Christmas season, sponsored by Coca-Cola. Yes, it's a Charlie Brown Christmas. For nearly 60 years, the holiday special has been delighting most viewers while confounding others. I personally know people that both love it and also some who honestly don't get it. Now, I'll admit, the story kind of wanders all over the place. The jazz soundtrack, while legendary today, does feel a little out of place. And the somewhat overtly religious message towards the end can seem a little jarring. But all that aside, A Charlie Brown Christmas is funny charming, and definitely has something to say about the season. But before we get into the special itself, let's talk about where these characters came from. The Peanuts comic strip created by Charles Schultz made its debut in newspapers on October 2nd, 1950, and continued to run until February 13th, 2000, making it one of the longest-running and most influential comic strips in history. Oddly enough, the Peanut Strip was kind of a spin-off of Schultz's first comic strip called Little Folks. Charlie Brown actually made his first appearance in that strip back in 1948. Which, by the way, brings up kind of an interesting piece of trivia. Why was Peanuts called, well, Peanuts? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And guess what? Charles Schultz hated the name. That title was given to the strip by the publisher, United Features Syndicate. Why? Well, you can blame 1950s pop culture. Oh, well, howdy duty, boys and girls. And howdy, Buffalo Bob. Well, howdy, Mr. Duty, and boys and girls at home in all our peanut galleries, let's go! It's howdy, duty time, it's howdy, duty time, watch me when howdy, do. say howdy, duty. 
That's right. Put the blame on Howdy Doody. See, on the show, which was very popular at the time, there was always an audience of kids on the set, and they were called the Peanut Gallery or Peanuts. That term was appropriated for the comic strip, of course, that had only children in it and a, a dog. So now you know. The strip with its cast of characters, including the aforementioned Mr. Brown, also featured his beagle, Snoopy, Charlie's sister, Sally, friend and confidant, Linus, the always irritated and bossy Lucy, and many others. Peanuts quickly became popular, especially with adults who found the philosophical nature of the strip to be both unusual for its time and also very perceptive in its characterizations of the kids and their introspections and feelings. By 1960, Peanuts had become a national phenomenon. So you'd think it would be a no-brainer to bring the characters to life through animation. So in 1960, Charlie Brown and Company made their animated debut on a variety show hosted by America's favorite country western singer of the previous decade, Tennessee Ernie Ford. The Peanuts gang would appear introducing the show and also in advertisements plugging, unsurprisingly, Ford Motor Cars. And now, from the popular comic strip Peanuts, here are Charlie Brown and his friend. Charlie Brown. Thank you, Charlie Brown. What's the occasion? Has Charlie Brown had another baby sister? No. Ford has new economy twins. So he's passing out chocolate cigars to everyone. Everyone? Yes, everyone. You bet your boots. Everyone. Because it's just like they said. We've got something big to celebrate. And here it is, Ford's Economy Twins for 1960. Meanwhile, a TV producer named Lee Mendelson wanted to make a documentary with Charles Schultz about the success of Peanuts. Mendelson wanted to have some animation in the documentary, so Schultz referred him to Bill Melendez, who created the animated segments for the Ford Variety Show. But sadly, no one was interested in funding the documentary. But, as we will discover, time heals all wounds. Time magazine, that is. The weekly publication featured the Peanuts characters on its April 1965 cover. And that's when Coca-Cola came calling. The fizzy sugar water purveyor wanted to make a holiday special and felt the Peanuts characters would be a good fit. Problem was, this happened in April, and the special needed to be finished by December. Schultz and Mendelssohn had five days to put together a proposal to give to Coke executives. They approved, and the clock began ticking. Six months. They had six months from outline to airtime. Now, normally that would be near impossible. You'd have to assemble a team of animators, voice actors, and the like, get them familiar with the characters and how to animate them and all that. But lucky for Schultz and Mendelssohn, they had an ace up their sleeve, Bill Melendez. 
he and his team had already animated the Peanuts characters and hired voice actors to play them. The team was brought in to animate the special and were able to get right into it. No learning curve needed. There was one more element that needed to be addressed. The music. While working on his ill-fated Peanuts documentary, Mendelssohn recruited jazz group the Vince Guaraldi Trio to compose and perform the soundtrack. When that project fell through, the trio were brought in to score the Christmas special. It turned out to be a great fit. What would not be a great fit was Mendelssohn's idea of adding a laugh track to the special. When it was brought up during pre-production, Charles Schultz simply got up and left the room. There would be no laugh track. Since then, there have been rumors floating around the internet that there was indeed a version of A Charlie Brown Christmas with a laugh track added in case the special bombed in the ratings. It was kind of a plan B for future airings. But according to the website Lost Media Wiki, the archivist of the Charles M. Schultz Museum, Sarah Bro, has declared that no such version with a laugh track exists. One element that Charles Schultz insisted on having in the special was a message of hope amongst all the consumerism and depression and chaos of the holidays. At that time in his life, Schultz was a Lutheran and had taught at a Methodist Sunday school. Schultz felt it was important to address what he felt was the true meaning of Christmas by having Charlie Brown's friend Linus recite verbatim from the Bible's Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Naturally, this led to a collective uproar among executives at CBS. They were concerned that audiences wouldn't appreciate a religious message during a children's TV special. However, Charles Schultz maintained that a story centered around a character seeking the true meaning of Christmas required some explanation of the holiday. He argued that the speech's worst impact on viewers would be encouraging them not to succumb to feelings of despair during the season. Now, despite Schultz's rationale, the studio adamantly stuck to their stance. In response, Schultz made a bold decision and walked out of the meeting with only three months until the broadcast. Obviously, CBS reconsidered their position, ultimately allowing Linus's memorable speech to remain a cherished part of the holiday program. Now, despite the time crunch and the network shenanigans, a Charlie Brown Christmas would be completed only 10 days before it was set to air. 
almost everyone who was involved with the special thought it would be a disaster. To gauge the response to the show, the producers invited a critic from Time magazine to view the finished product before it aired. The resulting review was stellar, stating in part, CBS will carry a special that really is special. On the evening it first aired, A Charlie Brown Christmas was watched by 45% of people watching television that night, roughly 16 million of them. It was an unquestionable success. Also successful, the show's soundtrack, still a perennial holiday favorite. And the book version, released at the same time as the special, became a bestseller. The following year, A Charlie Brown Christmas won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Children's Program. Accepting the award, Charles Schultz remarked, Charlie Brown is not used to winning, so we thank you. One final note. At the end of A Charlie Brown Christmas, the scrawny little pine tree Charlie bought for their play was turned into a beautiful Christmas tree. After the special aired, two things happened. According to newspaper reports at the time, sales of real, living Christmas trees, especially the scrawny ones, surged. And artificial trees, the kind in the bright, gaudy, pink, silver, and blue versions, became almost immediately out of fashion. And within a couple of years, weren't being made at all. Not bad for an anxious little bald kid suffering from Pantophobia. Thanks for listening. If this is the first time you've heard this podcast, check out our past episodes available on almost all podcast providers and subscribe so you don't miss a single one. If you like what you hear, write us a review. We'd love to know what you think. Or you can drop us a line at the deep dive podcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds. You can find links to those and our awesome t-shirt store in the bio of our Instagram page. All clips used in this podcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. Mysteries of the Deep is part of the Deep Dive podcast family and a production of Automaton Studios. Do you think you have pantophobia? What's pantophobia? The fear of everything. That's it!